it has been, I think, a great week. Uri, are you in the room somewhere? I was trying to make sure he was here, both services. I don't actually see him. Um, but uh, Uri is actually still with us, and uh, he's probably kind of out in the lobby. Is he standing somewhere? No? Probably out in the lobby, kind of got caught by someone talking to him. But it has been an absolute joy and a blessing uh, to have him here. I want to remind you of some of the resources that were developed uh, in our time together while he was here. Uh, our Monday night lesson on the Bible land, actually, because of some setting problems, uh, that video didn't make it, sadly enough, and we need to find a way to kind of redo that because it was a really helpful conversation regarding the Bible lands and, and what we need to know to, to be able to read the Bible better with greater accuracy. Um, our conversation on Wednesday night is actually on our Facebook page where uh, Uri, who played the role of the Jew, and Jim, who played the role of the Christian, had a conversation about Jesus Christ. And uh, I hope that you've had a chance uh, to take a look at that. If not, I really would encourage you to actually do so um, so that you can see what that conversation entails. Um, it was really good for us, even this, throughout the entire week, to talk about just how uh, strange and how difficult that conversation is. Um, as you probably know, there's just a lot of, 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 of politicizing of those kinds of issues, which really isn't what, neither of, what either of us wanted to do. And so really grateful for the opportunity that we have been able to have this week to have that conversation. We had that conversation again at the table, and we can direct you to where that resource is. On Friday, Ori spoke, uh, speaking about the Middle East, particularly what's going on right now. And uh, for anybody that thinks they can just deal with those circumstances without fully appreciating um, the depth of the, com the complexity of that. Um, I, I think it would be a, a foolish venture. And so I appreciated his desire and ability to speak rather accurately in terms of what is going on there and the, the complexity of the situation um, that is happening there. And uh, that is actually also on our Facebook page. Uh, we hope that that would be uh, not only available to you, but a blessing to you as well. Um, so he, he should be in here in a moment, and I probably will just continue preaching. Um, if you see him around, make sure you say hi to him immediately following this service. Um, I've got to take him to the airport. Uh, he's actually found a flight from Stillwater to Dallas to New York to Tel Aviv. And so he's going to have an opportunity uh, to, to worship with us today. And, and again, we are grateful for him. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We are in verse 19. As Catherine shared so enthusiastically with us about the text, appreciate her, um, her enthusiasm and excitement. Um, we are going to be talking today about the ongoing, never-ending, repetitive work of the church, which can sometimes be forgotten, uh, can sometimes be just kind of just relegated to the, to the mundane, um, literally even the word like ongoing, never-ending, just makes me tired thinking about it. And yet, this is what happens day in and day out with the biblical text, and it's important for us to recognize that. And so what I want to do is I want to share a little bit of an illustration that will hopefully not just make you feel um, sick to your stomach, but hopefully it will actually kind of provide a context. Here's the image. Canadians playing basketball. It doesn't I know you're thinking Steve Nash, some of you are, but it, it doesn't come natural to us. Maybe because of what we would consider to be the better of the sports, right? We've heard there's more of them. We only play one, but we've heard there's more of them. Um, that to be trained in that, to be trained that you fight over the possession of, 
You, you don't give someone space. You, you take it away from them aggressively if possible. So a true Canadian who is trying to play basketball, um, the nicest way I can put it is they play it roughly. They play it with, with uh, well, let me give you an example. Like I remember when I was, was trying to play it, I, I couldn't quite understand. And by the way, I've actually been to a lot of Oklahoma State basketball games, and I know that every time you think there's a foul, you cry, how did you miss that? And then every time a foul is called against you, you yell what? I can't believe you called that. So we're both confused about how this foul thing works. <laughs> I mean, I'm completely confused. As a hockey player, I don't understand that if a guy is going down to do a layup, why you can't hip check him out of bounds. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't understand why I have to kind of sit back like this when if I just somewhat, I know I can't tackle him to the ground, but I can at least push, right? Or shove or check or elbow or something. I mean, can't we do that? So, so here's what I have found. Um, is that when I moved down to the States to go to college and there was like a pickup game. And I just kind of thought, okay, I can, I can do this, right? It's just pick up. After a while, they would say, would, would you stop playing with us? And, and not because I was hurting anyone. I mean, I don't have the physical stature to hurt anybody. But they just kept saying, like, you're not playing the game right. Like, truly, if there was a ref, I'd probably be able to play basketball for maybe three minutes. And then I would what? Foul out. Even though I, the whole time I'd be going, are you serious? That's not a foul? No, that was tackling. That was a foul. So I want you to think about it. You somehow ruin the game when you come to that game and you decide we're going to play it the way I want to play it. Truly, if you decided to play basketball the way I want to play basketball, like even those of you that are like stronger than me, you would end up retaliating. Like now do you understand why there's so many fights in hockey? Right? It's just the way that the game is played. Increases like energy and just aggression until in the end the gloves come off the shirts come over their heads this is just how you play the game and that's not really how you're supposed to play basketball and I genuinely believe I'm a better I'm, I'm, I'm someone who views the game I'm, I'm not really good at playing it because left to myself I, I think I would ruin it for everybody and anything that has like value or worth has a value or a worth in it that is um, like is intrinsic to itself. I mean, it, it, it is held together by itself. And when other people want to come along, like when I want to come and, and, and just help you with your game of basketball, you would say, no, if we wanted to play hockey, we'd play hockey. And if we wanted to play what you're, yours is like this weird version of like basketball, football, and that's, that's not how we play the game. If you want to play football, play football. If you want to play basketball, we play basketball, and this is how you play basketball. And by the way, like it's not up for debate, Jim. Like we're not going to sit here and say, well, how can like Canadians who don't know the game really teach us what basketball is about? No, the truth is, like I understand when I'm around those people who really understand basketball, like I'm there to listen, not to teach. Like I'm there to learn not to pontificate. And 
That's the reality of everything that really counts in life. And that's what the church is doing. Like the church, as it continues to grow, as it continues to multiply in numbers, as it crosses ethnic borders, as it, as it changes, there are some things about it that are going to genuinely change. And I don't even know if there's anything wrong with that. Think about it. The way that we will worship in song, because we worship in many ways. We worship by focusing around the word. We worship by eating and drinking. We worship in song. The way that we will worship in song with these instruments is, is different than how I have actually worshipped when I was in Mexico. And this is different than how I worshipped when I was in other parts of the world. When I was in Thailand, um, it was just different. The songs were different. The way that we sang was different. There were so many things and they were, they were just, they were different. But the one we were singing about, that was the same. The way that we treated one another, that was the same. I've been in different parts of the world. I've been in Africa where um, I came dressed like, like an American. And uh, there were a few of us that were dressed like that. And there were a lot of other people that dressed in a very different way than us. And we, we couldn't tell by our clothes, our beliefs, and our actions. Not from our clothes. There's a difference. There's a difference in terms of even when we meet. There are differences. I get it. I want us to be honest. There are differences as the gospel goes and reaches new cultures and transforms culture. There is a transformation that is actually taking place. And it comes to life in different ways. And I, I get it. I think, actually, I think the Bible seems to even support that. Even when you look at the, at the biblical text, Jesus worshipped in the synagogue as was his custom. You know, the synagogue, the one that actually was developed in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai? No, it wasn't. There is no synagogue in the Old Testament. There isn't. And yet Jesus was there regularly, as was his custom. So there is a sense in which the gospel, as it moves into different cultures, it takes on the, the flavor of that culture. That is where missionaries, not just, by the way, not just Western missionaries, every missionary struggles with taking his or her culture and, and confusing it with the gospel. Every, everyone has wrestled with this. In the very beginning, we see them wrestling with this. But the one non-negotiated issue as the gospel continues to move to new places is that there is something that must remain the same. So th this is the part that is just going to hit us this morning, and I'm just going to say it now. And I want you to just think about Canadians playing basketball like the bad way. Okay, not Steve Nash, but the bad way, the Jim Johnson way. When it comes to your faith, are you like a Canadian playing basketball? Are you like playing it on your terms? Are you the one that's going, hey, yeah, this is, this is who I am. And I just, I play Christianity this way. This is who I am. These are the values that matter most to me. 
But basically, what we are really asking this morning and what we're seeing, a, a, a serious confrontation take place, what we're really asking is, are, are we as a church submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in terms of what we believe and how we act? Because that seems to matter a lot to the church. And particularly, I don't think this is like a, a new problem that the church is wrestling with. I don't think it's new. But there is something that is happening that is um, maybe accentuated, at least in the recent history, where now in, in, in the West, particularly in America, that we are, we are becoming Christians on our own terms. That evangelism, that us even sharing our faith, when we do it, is basically us highlighting certain aspects of who Jesus is that already fit into your predetermined lifestyle. It is now, it is now common and accepted that the gospel is here to fit into you, not the other way around. And you just cannot read the book of Acts that way. It won't let you. The ongoing, repetitive, never-ending work of the church is to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And then lives are transformed. And then lives are conformed. Ooh, that is such an ugly word. Who likes to be conformed? Who likes to give up their way, their independence, their rights, their identity? Not us. I'll just speak for me. Not me. But that's what we see happening. Starting in verse 19, we see the church continuing to grow in numbers. I mean, that's exciting. Again, as a, today's a very Canadian day for me. As a Canadian who grew up in a really, really small church where it was just like eight of us and sometimes 12, which actually fit rather well because it was our house where we were meeting, I mean, I just loved it when I, I would hear about churches in America that had hundreds of people that came. You know, it was the 70s. Hundreds of people are going to church. And I remember thinking, man, I, I just wish I was in America where there are hundreds of other believers because I would just count and every Sunday, there was about 12 of us. Youth group was always awkward. I always just wanted someone in my youth group. I mean, I loved my sister, but seriously, that's it? My mom was trying her best, but I really would rather have, you know, like a youth pastor. Whenever I would read about the church growing in numbers, or I would hear about like churches and other parts of the world growing in numbers, I would just think, what are we doing wrong? It's just something that's exciting, right? When numbers continue to grow. But what's interesting is, is like, they don't just get excited about it and just look the other way. They recognize that with the increase of numbers comes an increase in responsibility. That's how they were looking at it, right? There are some people that go, wow, we now have five children. This is going to get really demanding of us, correct? You don't go, oh, no, we're hoping to have another five because the more you have, the easier it gets. Now, verse 19. Now, those who are scattered because of the persecution, think about that statement, the persecution. Persecution is one of those things that tests the allegiance of people. 
Hey, by the way, next Sunday, we're going to have our faith being tested. For those who truly will continue to swear allegiance to Jesus Christ, there will be beatings that will be happening in the parking lot. Sign me up. It's fascinating that you continually see in the book of Acts persecutions alongside church growth. Because of this persecution that arose over Stephen, remember he was the one that was killed, and it traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. If you're looking at like a map of Israel, so I'm facing it with you, and this is the Mediterranean, here is Jerusalem. Um, it is up that way into Turkey. And on the other side of Turkey would be Europe. Like the gospel is going that way. In Acts 16, it appears that the Apostle Paul was thinking about even going east, but instead, he sees a vision of a man in, in, in Philippi calling him. But the gospel is leaving Jerusalem, which is a promise that Jesus actually gave in the beginning parts of the book of Acts. And so as the gospel is going to new places, we are seeing more and more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, up, up, up and away. Speaking the word to no one except Jews, which we don't think that's necessarily bad. That's, that's kind of the way they were looking at it. It's picking the low-hanging fruit. People who already loved God. People who were already looking for the Messiah. People who were already excited about God's plan and purposes in the world. People who are already using the Old Testament books. I mean, this just makes sense. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That would be the Greeks also. And they are preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice the way that that actually comes together. Um, there appears to be a way of, of looking at how that, those two words come together. Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, Jesus the Lord. There are some that would actually argue that the placement of Lord first is to draw special attention to who he is in terms of his title. Like the Christ Jesus there's an emphasis there. Like most of us hear the, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. But when you say Christ Jesus, you're drawing attention to the Messiah, who is Jesus. The Lord Jesus, especially coming out of the last few chapters, do you notice the added emphasis on celebrating Jesus as Lord? Not buddy, not life coach, not one person who's going to give me advice among many, Lord. The Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and, uh, and the hand of the Lord, that would be Jesus, was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So there is this, this, this group of people who believed, who trusted in, who put their faith in. That's what the concept of believed in. It's not just this mental ascent that, oh yeah, Jesus, he lived in Jerusalem. Is that what you want me to believe? No. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want you to believe that believing that he is the Messiah, that he then becomes the Lord of your life. He is the one that then gives you instruction on what to believe about him and what to believe about God, what to believe about your brothers and your sisters who are sitting around you. As the text ends, what to believe about those brothers and sisters who are in other parts of the world. Jesus speaks truth into every area of our lives. Not just transforming, but conforming our thinking 
and our actions so that we begin to think and act like him. The church in America needs to hear that again and again and again. Where we are far more interested in what we can add to the conversation. What different... Uh, this, new, this new wonderful concept of intersectionality, these new and growing and diverse, and, and really what we're really interested in is what Canadians think about Jesus. Actually, no, it's not like my primary goal. I would even say like right now, the most important thing is not that you know what I think about Jesus, but that you would know the truth about Jesus. Therefore, the degree to which I accurately present this truth is what binds us together. See, the church is growing in numbers, but they are being conformed in their belief that Jesus is Lord. They are believed, they are trusting that Jesus Christ is the one who is going to mold and shape and dictate their lives. They are surrendering their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Like, that's what... That's what the book of Acts continually talks about. Actually, that's what Jesus talked about. You know what I've loved about this week with Uri, my friend? Is that in the two times that we've talked very specifically about what's going on, even in his own mind, two questions that were brought up on Wednesday and also on Thursday at the table, he was asked this question, Uri, what would it take for you to accept Jesus? He kind of shares the, the difficulty of that for him, which I get. I understand. This is what really hit me. Especially, I can see God even working these things together with this text. It was good to have him here to teach me some things in this text. Here's what he said. The, the part that makes it more complicated than I think most of you understand is this. That if I were to accept Jesus, I would, there's a part of me that would cease to exist. I, I know what you want to say to him. No, Jesus is here to make you better. Like he's here to come along and help you out and make you feel better about yourself. Jesus isn't here to kill you. Well, okay, there is that one text where Jesus actually said, anyone who wants to follow after me must deny his father and his mother, must actually hate his parents and give up all of that for me. But I think he was kidding about that. And I know there was that other text that actually said that, that, that what you must do is to daily pick up your cross and follow me, but... Wow, okay, well, that actually is a symbol of execution. Wow, Jesus really does want to kill you. Like, I so loved, Drew and I were talking about this this morning, I just, I so loved the degree to which Uri understood the cost of following Jesus. And I just remember thinking to myself as I share my faith with him, and he shares his faith with me, and it must be hard. I'm not asking, um, hey, like, I, I really think this will kind of make you happier sometimes. That's what a lot of us, when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, it was to kind of, you know, wouldn't you like another friend who lives in heaven? Like, wouldn't you like someone who, who will cheer you on? Wouldn't you like someone, I mean, that's kind of our view of Jesus in the church, is it not? But when I'm sitting across the table of my, my friend Taysir from Saudi Arabia, who is a devout Shia Muslim. And I'm trying to share Jesus with him. 
And he's showing me videos of people of the Shia faith in Saudi Arabia who are being killed for being the wrong kind of Muslim. And I'm sharing my faith with him. You know, you really should follow Jesus so that when you go back to Saudi Arabia, and the way of Jesus in so many parts of the world and in this world is, um, man, it's intense. And so the gospel is growing in numbers, but not by lowering the bar, not by saying, hey, what would you like Christianity? What flavor do you want it to be? We're not the Baskin Robbins of religions. There is a there is a piece in which all of humanity brings its own flavors. It brings its, its own uniqueness. There's, there's something in, in, in so many cultures of the world where it literally is allowed to, to breathe and to be different and to worship in different ways and to, to live and to dress in different ways. The gospel seems to inform that, but not just totally dominate it. But then there are others where Jesus Christ is Lord and we turn the other cheek and we feed those that have a need, and that we forgive those who have wronged against us when they repent. I mean, there's so many other things that are really not up for discussion. Like our sexual ethic in the book of the New Testament is not up for discussion. The way that a, a husband and a wife treat one another, that's not up for discussion. Those things have already been decided for us by Jesus. And he is Lord. I think one of the reasons why, and again, I'll speak for myself, I really swear to you, I'm, I have so wrestled with this this week. How much of my life is still me living and following Jesus on my terms? When I get so frustrated, I'm talking about in my spiritual walk with Jesus Christ, I just feel like a Canadian playing basketball. There's something that's out of place. It just feels not natural. Well, not only does the church grow in numbers, but the church grows in depth. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not just trying to increase numbers. They're, they're not, they're not th th this is why I get so concerned that wherever you are, this isn't even just a Western thing. It's not even just something that was developed in the 18 or 19 or the 20th century. As the church continues to grow in numbers, there is always this natural temptation that as we include more, then we lower the standards. As we include more, we lower the standards. And so the church recognizes that. Like this is thousands of years ago. So notice what happens. Verse 22. The church is going to grow in depth intentionally, not accidentally. The report of this, meaning that there are people up in Antioch, in that whole area, who are both Jews and Gentiles who are coming to faith. When this report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas. They sent him. Hey, we heard there's lots of new believers. We need to go up there and help them out. And they sent him to Antioch. And when he came and saw that the grace of God, he saw it. He sees God's grace. He sees the movement of God. He sees the Holy Spirit. He sees forgiveness happening. He sees all of the things that is so right about church. He sees them happening. And it says, he was glad. And he exhorted them. That's an interesting word. It's... Uh, I think I know why they picked that word in English. Because the word is actually a word in the Greek called, it's, it's parakaleo. 
which is um, the word actually for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the great encourager. It's usually, parakaleo is usually translated, he encouraged them. I, I think they recognize that this text is, is a lot more than you can do it. I, I think the problem is probably more with our cultural understanding of encouragement than the word itself. You really need to encourage one another. What does that mean? I don't know. I think Hallmark invented the word. We should get them a card, maybe flowers. Um, I, I think we should go back to their Facebook and every selfie we got to like. I really think it means just like not being overly critical and just kind of loving people for who they are. Like that's what encouragement is, making us feel better about ourselves no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. That's kind of what encourage means, right? Yeah, that's really not what the word encourage means. Think about it. The, the word, to encourage, to instill courage. How many of you, when someone said, wow, you are so pretty, you just felt courageous? Doesn't do it, does it? Like, you might be pretty. You might figure out that, no, 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 they're just, they say that to everybody. But it doesn't build courage. What Barnabas is doing here is he is looking at the church, which, by the way, is come out of a place where persecution has happened and persecution is coming. And what they don't need is like they need to be reminded of who they are in Christ. They need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is Lord, not the one who's going to come kick down your door and threaten your life. They're not the ones who are Lord. Jesus is Lord. Like that builds courage. Like moms and dads, it's, it's not about building your child's self-esteem around the things that they do. Their academic achievements, their athletic achievements, their physical achievements, their relational achievements. Man, you all know that that is building on sand. We know it. What Christians do is they exhort. They, in, they instill courage. You can see why they didn't put encourage there. They wanted something that had more teeth. They exhorted. Actually, it's designed to be the same idea. And that's what the church did. We need to uh, instill courage in them. We need to exhort them. What? To remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Now, why did Barnabas do this? Because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so they just got really, really excited. They published the numbers. They let everybody know that their church was doing great. And then they moved on. Now, verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him. Church in Jerusalem sent me. This is bigger than I can handle. I'm going to get Saul. And he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, exhorted a great many people, educated a great many people, showed a great many people what the Christian life actually looked like. It wasn't like, yeah, love Jesus and it, nothing, out, nothing, nothing other than that, like you love them the way you want to love them, love them the way you've loved everybody else. No, 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 no. It is, it is so much more than that. For a year, they sat down with these people and said, this is what you need to know and this is how we act. I think there is so much confusion in the church today. And I'll, I'll even say this. If Sunday morning and this right now is all you're getting on what you need to know and how you need to live, I can understand why you look like a Canadian playing basketball. 
you want to know why I don't play basketball? Because I, 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 I don't care enough about the game to play it the right way. Just don't care enough. And I'm just tired of looking dumb. Seriously, you should see me play. I look dumb. I'm in it. So I just don't play. Not interested. Am I talking about like me and basketball or am I talking about you and faith? The church recognized that something needed to be done. They send Barnabas, and they say, actually, this, is, this goes on and on. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 3,000 people come to faith, and next Luke says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, because these people didn't know about Jesus. There's a lot you need to know, and there's a lot you need to know in terms of how to live. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 8, verse 14, the gospel goes to the Samaritans, and the church in Jerusalem sends Peter and John to make sure that they understand who Jesus is and what his lordship means. Acts chapter 11, verse 2, the gospel goes to the Gentiles on behalf of all the Gentiles. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what happens? Peter comes back and the church says, we got to talk about this. They criticize him. And, and by the way, I don't even think it's meant negatively. They criticized him. They wanted to know why he was doing that. After Peter explained, they rejoiced. They praised, glorified God. Same thing that's happening here. Chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. A great new number of people are coming to the faith and they're not, the church has never, when it's doing it right, the church has never just said, hey, we're just gonna take care of the basic stuff and then literally do whatever you want because God doesn't care about the details. Have you read Leviticus? Seriously? God doesn't care about the details? Talk to Uri about the details. God seems to care about the details. I, I so want you to know that as much as I want to teach you and as much as I recommend that you listen to the great teaching of others, that there is something else that is happening here. But yes, we, we, we subscribe to like the word of God and we subscribe to the, the teachings of others. Like what I'm, I'm not, I don't want you to walk away and go, yeah, we need to listen to Jim. No, when, I, when I get it right, sure. But I'm actually calling you to something more than that. Right? Like they didn't say, you need to listen to Paul and Barnabas. No, he taught them like to the apostles' teaching. That's what they're drawing themselves to. Paul even says, hey, by the way, if anybody teaches a doctrine other than what I just said, like I think even me, then let him be accursed. The apostle talks about, great Paul, he talks about that the, the church is built upon the apostles' teachings, which comes from Jesus Christ himself. The non-negotiated truth about who Jesus Christ is, God's Messiah to the world, building a kingdom, which we are blessed to be a part of. And we receive that by faith in Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. All people, men and women, Jew and Gentile. And we're not going to vote on that. And any church that decides to vote on that, then, hey, well, I guess technically we could vote on it. And if we agree with Scripture, we're right. And if we choose to go another way, we're wrong. You want to vote on whether or not there's a heaven or a hell? Go right ahead. It's not going to change it. 
You want to vote or change like our, on what our sexual ethic should be? Go ahead and vote. It's not going to change it. Jesus is Messiah. Truly, not up for a vote. Just sometimes feel that I'm, I'm not surrendering enough. Anybody else? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now what I would like us to do is I want us to pray. I got one more point I want to make, but I thought this would be a great point in our message to just stop and to wrestle with these two questions. Because I'm not just asking you, hey guys, come on, let's get on. And if you have any questions, Jim can answer them and Paul can answer them if Jim can't answer them. And if Jim and Paul can answer them, then Drew Moss can answer them and he can even do it in a really cool poem. Like that's not what we're saying, okay? It's not what we're saying. What we're actually saying is, is that all of us are sitting under the lordship of Jesus Christ as taught from his word. It's not about any of us. Any of us. It's about him. And we are surrendering to him. Therefore, I thought it'd be good for us to just pray. For you to spend a moment praying through these two thoughts. Are your beliefs being conformed into the church's beliefs? I didn't put Sunnybrook, because Sunnybrook's a small piece of the church. I'm talking about like the real church, right? Those that are truly built on the apostles' teaching. Are your beliefs conformed to the church? Or are you here to argue with the church if it doesn't agree with your view of whatever? Are your actions being conformed to the church's actions? The church um, is the called out ones. Are your actions being conformed into the way that those that are the body of Christ, the way that we act? Or are you acting just how you want to act? And you're just going to add church on Sunday, call it good. Really think that's how this is going to work. Like, you got that idea of you doing it on your terms from this. Just, you read this, and you got, oh yeah, I can do what I want. Like, you got, <laughs> you got that from this. No, I, I got that from this. This should be the thing guiding this and this. Pray about that for a moment right now. God, conform us, transform us into your image. Even, even the description of you as God, Jesus as Lord. I am a human. Made in your image. This puts me in my place. It's a tremendous amount of dignity and even goodness that comes from the way in which you've made me, the way you've made us. But Father, we are not you. From the very beginning, those who've decided supersede you just always worked out so poorly. Father, we believe there will be a day wherein the reality of who Jesus is will be declared and known. As Christians, we are those who see it now, who 
believe it now, who trust it now. I pray, Father, that each of us would take seriously what it means to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. It's in his saving name, ruling name, that we pray. And all God's people said, Final thought coming from the last verse of the text, verse 29. I love this. The church grew in numbers, the church grew in depth, and the church grew in its commitment. So the disciples determined, verse 29, the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers that were living in Judea. They heard about a famine that was prophesied, and they just said, we need to do something. I love this picture. In chapter 11, the church in Jerusalem, Jewish church in Jerusalem, hears that the Gentiles have been included. And so they go to them and they celebrate this. Wow, this is awesome. And so there is a sense in which the Jewish community is sharing this hope that they have in Jesus, this hope that they have in God with their Gentile brothers. And they open up their lives to them. And at the end of the chapter, you have this group of Gentile believers who have been so transformed by the truth of who Jesus Christ is that they now share sacrificially. Now, for us, when we share, it's usually at best off the top, most of us, right? Imagine it in the first century where they just, they weren't just, you know, oh yeah, I think I got the extra, some money in my pocket. No, they're, they're looking at what has been given to them and they are so grateful for what has been given to them when they hear about brothers and sisters in need, they just give. This is one of the ways in which you know. This is one of the ways in which you really know whether or not you you get who Jesus Christ is. Is that you understand this new family that you're a part of. You look at everything in a different way. It says that each one according to their ability gave. And they gave it to Paul and Barnabas that they might go to Jerusalem and say, hey, we heard you had a need. We heard you were hungry. We heard you were real. And we decided to figure out a way to make it work, trusting that God would still provide for us. And we want you to have this. Now that's church. Where Jesus is Lord and brothers and sisters share what they have. Right belief and right actions. And for Luke, it just is happening hand over hand, day after day. The never-ending, ongoing, repetitive work of the church. And hopefully that never is boring. (laughs) Hopefully that there are certain things that we do that are actually a tremendous amount of joy, even though they're somewhat repetitive. This time I'm going to ask our servers to come and to hand out the bread and cup. And as is our custom, remembering that Jesus Christ is Lord, remembering that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a meal that we share together. This is a meal that we proclaim together, recognizing that when we take the bread, we are holding in our hands his body, recognizing that we take the cup, we are holding in our hands his blood, which has been given to us. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I strongly encourage you to take the bread and to take the cup. And to hold it. Because in a moment, we will, as we eat and drink, proclaim to everyone in this room, to anyone else that might be interested to know, 
that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord.